Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast, end of the week of January 23rd, the third week after Epiphany. I hope you're doing well. I hope if you have been sick that you're healing up. We will be on Zoom for the next few weeks still, and uh, we will let you know as soon as we have an official date for when we'll be back. We're still just kind of monitoring cases uh, and want to make sure that everybody is uh, safe and healthy when we do uh, come back. Uh, All right, let's get into it. Last week, we talked about the first public act of Jesus in John's Gospel. We're in the season of Epiphany, and this week we'll be uh, going to the first public act in the Gospel of Luke. So so that's what we were saying the last couple of weeks. During the season of Epiphany, it gives us an opportunity to ask questions like how God reveals God's self in us and in our world. What is God revealing in us and our world? And so we're doing that through the Gospel of Luke today, back in Luke uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, and soon people across the region had heard news of him. He would regularly go into their synagogues and teach. His teaching earned him the respect and admiration of everyone who heard him. He eventually came to his hometown, Nazareth, and did there what he had done elsewhere in Galilee. He entered the synagogue, stood up, and read from the Hebrew scriptures. The synagogue attendant gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus unrolled it to the place where Isaiah had written these words, The Spirit of the Lord of the Eternal is on me. Why? Because the Eternal designated me to be his representative to the poor, to preach good news to them. He sent me to tell those who are held captive that they can now be set free, and to tell the blind that they can now see. He sent me to liberate those who had been held down by oppression. In short, the Spirit is upon me to proclaim that now is the time. This is the jubilee season of the Eternal One's grace. Jesus rolled up the scroll and returned it to the synagogue attendant. He then sat down as a teacher would do. And in all the synagogue focused their attention on Jesus, waiting for him to speak. He told them that these words from the Hebrew scriptures were being fulfilled then and there in their hearing. The word of the Lord. All right, so if you've been at Mission Hills for any length of time, uh, you have definitely heard me talk about this text. It is my most quoted text of the Bible. Uh, I think it's maybe the most foundational text about the life of Jesus and what Jesus came to do. You've probably ramble, you've heard me ramble on on this text on many occasions at Mission Hills. So, um, so I want to try to give us an opportunity to maybe see something that we haven't seen before um, in our ourselves and how this text. Um, might call us into uh, a different way of living and maybe a different way of hearing the good news. Uh, Like I've said before, the season of Epiphany is something about what is God revealing uh, to us, in us, and in our world. So this text has been particularly impactful uh, for me early on when I started uh, understanding uh, the Bible a little bit more in in college and reading and learning about uh, traditions of liberation theology. Uh, this text is really important to me. This is the perhaps the core text for a liberationist reading of the Gospels, which is to say that God's good news for the world is rooted in the material liberation of those of low status due to anything, gender, economics, ethnicity, physical or mental ability, um, that the good news is about the material liberation of those of uh, low status, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed. And 
I just want to point out a few key aspects about um, what's happening in in the context of this story. I so first maybe we'll take a step back. I want to mention uh, Jesus's mother. We've spoken about the importance of Mary's influence in Jesus's life over the past month or so since we read the Magnificat before Christmas. And I think that this text is another beautiful example of Jesus. Um, like I said, the first thing that he does in his ministry, he is living into the calling that Mary has already been given by God. And who we know, as I know, a few chapters earlier in Luke's gospel saying, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. So Jesus is stepping into his liberating work from the space that that Mary's been creating all along in the worldview that she gave to him. So I like to think of the, the story today um, that this is the, the backdrop uh, for Jesus walking into the temple and run rolling the scroll of Isaiah to the place that he does. Uh, secondly, it's worth mentioning that in, in Luke's gospel, uh, the liberating love of God is not, it's not simply a moral value set, but it is uh, the active call and movement of God's spirit so God's Spirit descends on Jesus in, in baptism, speaking of true belovedness. Then the Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness, and then Jesus emerges from that season with this particular message of liberation. So that's also the context for what Jesus is stepping into when he, he comes into the temple in this scene that we read about today. And his particular message of liberation um, maybe brings us to another consideration, which is that it's significant that Jesus is is in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. The the how and the where is is really important in this case. The the scholar uh, Ched Myers points out that Jesus' hometown Nazareth uh, it would have been politically important because it was only about three miles from uh, the capital in Galilee, a place called Sepphoris, and Sepphoris was destroyed around the time Jesus was born. So. As construction workers, it's plausible that Jesus and Joseph worked on rebuilding the capital uh, of Sepphoris. And as often the case is the case, oppressed people groups are usually the ones who have to build the infrastructure for the powerful. So Jesus also comes into the temple in this context uh, as a construction worker, as a carpenter, tecton, into the temple in his small hometown of Nazareth, a person of low status, and he reads this particular mixture of texts from, from Isaiah, uh, it's kind of, um, you wouldn't find it in that in particular order in, in uh, Isaiah, but he reads this from the scroll in this particular way, and um, Luke's gospel is trying to say something about who Jesus is and how Jesus sees uh, the Spirit of God in Jesus's um, liberating message. And Isaiah's texts we know were really influential to early Christians, and Isaiah is the most quoted uh, prophet in the New Testament. So when Jesus selects this text in this context, and Luke decides to include this particular story in this way, it says something not only about the liberation that Jesus dedicated his life to um, and who God's good news is for, um, but it gives us a, a way to understand how and where, um, perhaps where God's Spirit is active today. Where is the liberating love of God taking place? And as the season of Epiphany, we ask 
um, what is God revealing? How is God revealing God's self? Um, the how and where, uh, where is God's spirit active today? Uh, I read this truly, truly horrible article by a professor from Baylor. It's not one of my professors when I was at Baylor, but I came across this article. It's really bad. Uh, I don't, I'm not even going to put it in the show notes because I don't want that spreading around. Um, but basically this professor was talking about how, um, conservatives and progressives, uh, today have different images of Jesus. So he's talking about all the problems, uh, that arise due to these different images that he says, uh, conservatives and progressives have. And one of his implications is that basically neither group has an accurate view of Jesus, which is a very professor thing to say, but he doesn't, he doesn't offer any specific image of Jesus from his perspective. Um, so we've, we've already gone over how um, there are things that um, there, we'll never be able to know about the historical Jesus. Uh, and we've, we've also touched on this morning how modern research has given us a growing understanding of what Jesus' life might have been like outside the pages of the gospel uh, and how um, it illuminates who the Jesus of the the gospels was uh, as well. Uh, I mean, we have modern research that tells us um, more about the Jesus of the gospels than people would have known 200 years ago. Um, But I think sometimes like the problem that this professor has fallen into, like Western Christianity in the church often needs a permanent in unchanging view of Jesus, because Jesus is uh, a reflection of God, and God isn't supposed to to change or be up for debate in any kind of way. And so he pits the conservatives against the progressives and um, says that they're both wrong, or maybe maybe he's um, holding his cards you know close to the vest, and, and he thinks that one is is more right. Um, so the implication is that there's some right version of Jesus that's out there, um, that someone has to be right and someone else has to be wrong. Um, so you know the question that this this uh, professor from Baylor brings up is like who who is more right? I guess the conservatives or the progressives. So he puts groups into these arbitrary categories based on little to no research, um, and it may be that on some level what he's demonstrating in his own way is that uh, it's only natural that we think we understand who Jesus was and what he did in the Gospels and what the stories about Jesus's life mean to us today, that he's doing it in his own way, but maybe it is just natural to think that we know who Jesus was and is and what he means for us. But what if we really considered God's spirit being more unknowable than knowable? And what if we actually honestly considered that we are not the primary or maybe even secondary interpreters of a text like this? There's a great book called The Gospel in Solentiname, which is about a cardinal in Nicaragua who recorded conversations of a Bible study with uh, workers, farmers, and peasants uh, under the dictatorship in in Nicaragua during the 1970s. And as a result, uh, what this book is, is a commentary of the Gospels by those people rather than uh, the institutional church or professors in a seminary. Uh, And I want to read a short section of their conversation about this Luke 4 text. They write, "In in, In the time of Christ, the word gospel or evangelos was a political term associated with the cult of the emperor who was considered 
a God and a Savior by using the word good news. Jesus was indicating the announcement of a new kingdom. Others commented, in this good news, this good news is for the poor because this kingdom is the triumph of the poor and the humble. And this is good news, not like the others which were false. It is a joyful announcement for the whole people, and that deserves to be celebrated. One of the women said, what he read in that book of the prophet is the prophecy of liberation. It's a teaching that a lot of Christians haven't learned yet because we in the church can be singing day and night, tra-la-la, and then it doesn't matter that there are so many prisoners and that we are surrounded by injustice with so many afflicted hearts, so many people without education who are like blind people. There's so much unfairness in the country and so many women whose eyes are filled with tears every day. And if they take somebody else's prisoner, what do we lose? Felipe added, prisoners in every sense, yes, because it's not just the ones who are in jail. You can also be a servant, a prisoner of a rich person, serving him also. The ones who are in prison in their mentality without the freedom to think. Their minds have been so conditioned that the only thing they know how to do is serve. And another added, if we talk about this, all they say is, it's communism. That's what the radio says, hour after hour, it's communism. What they mean is that they like keeping us in slavery. And Pedro added, of course, just by announcing liberation, he was already fulfilling this prophecy. And just by saying, today this prophecy is fulfilled, Jesus was announcing liberation. All right, I think that might be a good place for us to leave it for today. How might we hear God's spirit and a text like this, if we um, were to realize that we're not the primary or secondary interpreters of Jesus's message of good news to the poor. What is God revealing in us and in our world through those who are marginalized or of low status? How can we hear or see any of this? How do we see the season of epiphany if we just think our image of Jesus is the right one? or we're concerned about uh, other people's image of Jesus, rather than listening and seeing um, God's message of good news to the poor. And maybe that's enough. So Mission Hills, may we be, uh, may we be liberated from the need to be right. Uh, may we be liberated from uh, the need to find and have an enemy, and may we join the liberating movement of God's loving spirit wherever there is injustice. And as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest.